0: Hello, I'm Nadia Singh, and I'd like to welcome you to IDSA's podcast, The Top Things to Know About the Coronavirus Right Now. Now, the purpose of this podcast is to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this rapidly evolving outbreak. We'll be sharing these podcasts weekly or as often as necessary, bringing in experts from various areas of focus within the field of infectious diseases. Today, I'm joined by members of IDSA's Coronavirus Expert Panel, Dr. Dan Lucy of Georgetown, Dr. Dr. Matt Zahn, an Orange County public health official, and Dr. Tim Ueki and Dr. Satish Palai, both of the CDC. All are experts on infectious disease outbreaks at their institutions across the nation. Thank you all for being here. Let's get started with question one. Dr. Lucy, this one goes to you. What is the current state of the outbreak right now, and what do clinicians need to know?
1: So th- thank you for having me on the podcast the current state is that the epidemic, in my opinion, is still uh, getting worse quickly. Um, So now, uh, as of last night, there are over 28,000 people reported who are laboratory confirmed. So all the cases are laboratory confirmed. The great majority are in China uh, and in Hubei province, but increasingly in other provinces and uh, other parts of China as well. Um, And in addition to Hubei province, which has been on basically lockdown, travel restrictions, uh, quarantine, um, building you know, 25, uh, 2,500 uh, new uh, beds uh, in two hospitals for, for this uh, epidemic. There's another province to the east uh, that's not geographically contiguous uh, with Hubei. It's called Zhejiang province, the capital of Sanzhou. And starting this Wednesday, at least three and maybe four cities and parts of those cities uh, have um, started to have... Uh, travel restrictions and quarantines, and they're building about a 1,000 or 1,200-bed hospital uh, in Hangzhou, the capital of Zhejiang. So um, if if Zhejiang province starts to look even remotely like Hubei province, that's very, very concerning. Uh, And really, the only other thing I want to say is that still there's, uh, to my knowledge, only 12 laboratory-confirmed patients in the United States. Uh, No it's a sustained transmission whatsoever. So that's really good news. It gives us some time uh, to do all the things that we know we need to do. The handwriting's on the wall. We know how to read it, we know what we need to do. The last thing is that the CDC and the FDA have done a wonderful job, in my opinion, um, and I don't work for either one of them, uh, to develop a rapid diagnostic test that detects the nucleic acid of the virus so it'll tell you if somebody's infected right now and they've just um, been able to send out the test after getting emergency use authorization from the FDA uh, for the CDC test, not only throughout the United States but to international partners. And I think that's especially important because if you look at the situation report, the SITREP every day from WHO, It shows where there's cases of this infection around the world, and you look at the continent of Africa and the continent of of South America, and there are no cases. In my view, that doesn't mean there truly are no cases. It means that they don't have the the diagnostic test to identify and confirm them. So I think it's so important that we immediately start surveillance with available uh, tests from the United States and perhaps elsewhere, um, particularly in, in Africa, given all that travel by people between China and Africa. So I'll stop there.
0: And Dr. Lucy, what are the most important pieces of information for clinicians at this time?
1: Well, in the United States, you mean? Or, um, you, you know, I say, you know, understanding the clinical uh, presentation and clinical course of the disease. And I think Dr. Tim Yureki from the CDC is uh, uh, probably more of an expert on that than, than I am. But I've been reading you know the papers as, they, as they've been coming out. And fortunately, it seems that the case fatality rate um, outside of Hubei province and rest of China and certainly in other countries, uh, uh, is not terribly high, but I think it could go up. We, we just see over time. Um, but as there gets to be more and more patients, so I think by today tomorrow, there'll be over 30,000. I think by Sunday, there'll be more deaths due to this coronavirus than due to all of SARS, um, which was about 774 deaths out of about 3,000 patients. So even if the fatality rates a small percentage, a small percentage of a very big number is is unfortunately a very big number. So I think we need to learn from our colleagues in China and elsewhere um, about uh, randomized controlled trials that I believe are just starting for uh, some drug treatments uh, today in in Wuhan, in Hubei province. Um, And uh, we need to be very, very vigilant um, for anyone who might have an epidemiological link to someone who has this infection. And if so, then we need to follow the CDC's directions as far as how to safely provide care to them and to their contacts and to the healthcare workers.
0: Thank you, Dr. Lucy. that was a great segue. Dr. Iwaki, this question is for you now. Are there any treatments available at this time? Right, thanks
2: for that question. So let me first just uh, comment a little further on um, what Dr. Lucy was saying and just say that there's actually quite a wide clinical spectrum um, of uh, infection with 2009 uh, novel coronavirus. Um, We don't fully understand uh, the the clinical spectrum, but clearly uh, asymptomatic infection has been reported and there's a wide uh, range of nonspecific, uh, mild uh, acute respiratory symptoms, uh, with or without fever that can occur. Um, And what we've learned, both from the US patients, exported patients, and those reported from China, the limited data available is that um, generally the first uh, week of the clinical course tends to be uh, manifested by rather mild signs and symptoms um, and that there can be in some patients clinical deterioration in the second week of the illness, uh, including late in the clinical week uh, with progression to lower respiratory tract signs and symptoms and development of pneumonia. Um, uh, there have been a small uh, Uh, number of cases in which uh, diarrhea has been reported, but it's been predominantly acute respiratory illness uh, and then progressing into uh, lower respiratory tract disease. Um, So it's quite a wide range of of signs and symptoms. Um, In terms of clinical management, the most important issue is the prompt uh, implementation of recommended infection prevention control measures, and that is isolation of a patient in an airborne infection isolation room um, following uh, standard contact airborne precautions, as well as eye protection. So that could be um, goggles or or face masks. And if an airborne isolation room is not present um, uh, not um, present in the facility, then consideration should be given to transferring the patient to a facility with an airborne infection isolation room. Um, but a patient could be managed, uh, if, if needed, be in a non-airborne uh, uh, infection isolation room following all other recommended infection prevention control precautions. So clinical management is supportive. There is no specific um, therapy uh, right now for patients with uh, novel coronavirus infection. Um, The main thing is supportive care of complications, and that primarily means um, oxygen supplementation. um, And then if the patient progresses further to non-invasive ventilation and then uh, if needed for respiratory failure, mechanical ventilation and critically ill, as well as uh, supportive care of other complications, including multi-organ failure, uh, shock, so forth, renal failure. But um, one of the main points I would make at this time is that the CDC, the WHO, Uh, as well as many others, uh, recommend against the use of corticosteroids for specific treatment of patients with 2019 novel coronavirus infection. Um, There can be exceptions if uh, corticosteroids are indicated for some other reason, such as uh, exacerbation of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or in a patient who's critically ill uh, with uh, refractory septic shock. Patients should receive hydrocortisone per surviving sepsis campaign guidelines. Um, but in general, corticosteroids are recommended not to be uh, given because of the concern uh, that we've observed for other viral respiratory infections that can result in a severe pneumonia, uh, including uh, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, uh, SARS-associated um, syndrome, s- severe acute respiratory syndrome, sorry. Um, as well as severe influenza, both seasonal and zoonotic influenza, where uh, the administration of corticosteroids, particularly high-dose corticosteroids, is associated with uh, prolonged viral replication. Um, And in some cases, some observational studies have suggested um, actually an increase in mortality and potential for um, uh, nosocomial bacterial fungal infection. So uh, avoid corticosteroids. Um, Otherwise, it's really all supportive care. Now, I can say of the 12 patients uh, to date in the U.S., uh, seven have been hospitalized. Uh, All seven ended up having pneumonia. So five have been managed in home isolation with very mild illness. Of those who are hospitalized, um, some of them were initially hospitalized for isolation purposes and not for medical supportive care, but did develop pneumonia. So. Um, just want to highlight again that pneumonia can develop uh, in the second week of a clinical course, including late in the clinical course. We've not had any patients who are critically ill to date.
0: Thank you, Dr. Yuwiki, for that. Just a quick follow up here. What are the limitations of existing diagnostic tools? Like, does a negative test mean no infection?
2: So, a couple of things. So, the commercially available um, molecular uh, viral respiratory panels do not detect this 2019 um, novel coronavirus. So there are uh, a number of assays out there, but currently they they cannot detect this specific coronavirus. They detect other human coronaviruses, but not this. Uh, In terms of um, the assay that uh, Dr. Lucy mentioned, which is the CDC real-time RT-PCR assay for detection of uh, uh, 2019 novel coronavirus, this is used for upper and respiratory, uh, sorry, upper respiratory tract specimens, a nasal pharyngeal and oral pharyngeal swab. We're also using it for detection of, um, in, of RNA in serum. Uh, we'd also like to look at fecal uh, specimens as well. So I'll just mention that. Uh, Viral RNA has been detected in the upper respiratory tract, the lower respiratory tract. It's been detected in blood and feces to date. Uh, But um, the virus has only been isolated to date from the upper and lower respiratory tract. So we really don't know at this time the significance of extra pulmonary detection of RNA. So limitations of the current test is that right now um, uh, testing has to be done at CDC. But now as the real-time assay, Uh, Developed by CDC is being um, uh, distributed to public health laboratories. There will be state public health laboratories and others that will be able to do this testing. Um, Just to say that, in a person who is suspected or really a person under investigation with a strong epidemiological link, for example, a patient who's symptomatic, who has had uh, direct or had very close contact with a confirmed case of 2019 novel coronavirus infection, um, a negative test result on a respiratory tract specimen um, does not mean that person does not have infection. That person should be followed for the 14-day period since the onset of symptoms and if they were to worsen they should be retested. Um, So we're not sure uh, in these early days Um, about how to interpret a negative result. But again, in a person with a high, high index of suspicion eh, with a a strong epidemiological link, they probably should be retested if they worsen.
0: Thank you, Dr. Uweki. Very informative. Let's switch gears now. Dr. Palai. I'd like to ask you, what is the U.S. government doing to prevent the spread? Thank you very
3: much. Um, so, the federal government, um, I- inclusive of CDC, is uh, working uh, through multiple different fronts, uh, including with our state, local, tribal, territorial public health partners, international partners, as well as with healthcare um, uh, partners to uh, respond to this uh, emerging uh, viral respiratory illness outbreak. Um, this response is multi layered. The goal is to detect. And minimize the introduction of the virus into the United States and to reduce the spread and impact of the the virus. Um, There's the framework by which we are responding is informed by the just the ongoing work that the CDC has conducted over the past 15 years to prepare for a pandemic, Uh, specifically influenza pandemic, but the the guiding principles for this are, are very similar uh, we're using those uh, pandemic preparedness platforms and, and plans to um, respond to this, uh, this event. And the range of activities is, is quite broad from uh, issuance of travel guidance and supporting uh, state and local partners at ports of entry with uh, screening of, of potentially ill travelers uh, to the development of laboratory diagnostics to rapidly identify cases and appropriately Uh, isolate them, provide care, and identify their their contacts to ensure contact tracing is occurring. We are engaged in uh, providing clinical consultation to, as Dr. Ueki has been doing, for the cases domestically, as well as serving on expert panels and learning from colleagues that are managing cases internationally. Um, uh, CDC teams are deployed into the field to support contact tracing investigations. We have an active persons under investigation uh, component within the CDC Emergency Operations Center. And uh, we have uh, a gamut of of, uh, guidance documents that have been developed to help public health and the healthcare sectors, ranging from the appropriate identification of uh, individuals that may be uh, infected may be exhibiting signs and symptoms of the novel coronavirus infection so that they can be appropriately triaged when they arrive to the healthcare system to uh, the uh, issuance of infection prevention and control guidance to ensure that healthcare providers on the front line have uh, the appropriate uh, resources and understand how best to protect themselves as they're providing care uh, for persons under investigation and um, individuals that are uh, diagnosed with the novel coronavirus infection. In addition, we are developing guidances for the business community uh, and emergency medical services. Um, and at the end of the day, what the federal government's role, and CDC's in particular, is to make sure that our partners at the state, local, tribal, and territorial level, and the healthcare partners that are directly providing care or evaluating individuals have the resources they need. Um, so, thank you.
0: Thank you, Dr. Palai. It sounds like a very comprehensive and thorough response there. And a good segue to Dr. Zahn, who's going to be talking to us today about the current local public health response to the outbreak.
4: Sure. Does. Thank you, I appreciate the chance to be on. So maybe I'll uh, talk, talk a little bit about our, uh, our response here. I work at the local health department in Orange County in California, and as it happens, one of those uh, initial cases in the United States was de- indeed identified in, in our county. And I can certainly uh, testify to what Dr. Pillai and Dr. Zuecki has mentioned regarding the, you know, the scope of the CDC's response to this. You know, um, if you're thinking through responding to this, I think many of us have dealt with uh, measles cases either in their healthcare facilities or in our uh, in our community, and we know how big that response can be in terms of reacting. And, you know, to me, it, I kind of think of this as sort of imagine you have a case of measles where no one is known to be immune. That's a big deal. Um, now, there's certainly a concern for airborne passage of this virus. And while I think we're all hopeful it's not going to prove to be as infectious as measles, because of that airborne component, the number of people who are potentially exposed can be really significant really quickly. I think for our case in Orange County, we were really, really fortunate that when the person initially sought care first, the person had been informed on travel that this was a concern, so that person let healthcare know that's a possible issue. And the greeters and the nurses who originally saw the patient recognized the issue and the infection control concern right away, took the person outside, had them wait outside until they had an airborne room. So, you know, I can't emphasize enough how important it is not only for the clinicians to recognize, the doctor to recognize that coronavirus may be a concern, but also that the, the greeter the person who first see patients identify the infection control issues early on before it becomes a problem. And for us, the scope of our exposure became much smaller than it really could have been uh, without that alert reaction to begin with. Uh, uh, Dr. Yeke mentioned the importance of uh, PPE and you know all of it is important I, I will say that um, you know obviously n95 gown glove ma- you know n95 mask gowning and gloving is terribly important, but that eye protection is one as well I'm not sure that uh, medical providers think right away and think of that eye protection um, either go- goggles or facial being part of that. I would say that if we've had any issue in terms of people I mean, not having a totally appropriate PPE that's been the main pe- Place where people have not recognized it, so really, really important to realize that eye protection, you know, is is a big part uh, of that response. And so, uh, for us, uh, we have actually had a CDC team here helping manage and and keep in close contact with all of the healthcare workers and all of the, uh, you know, close. Uh, household contact to the person to make sure no illness develops. Because again, you know, after exposure, we're still learning about this virus. And, you know, again, there's, there really isn't any evidence anybody has immunity a, at this point. It's, it's, it's a big response. Um, you know, I think one other thing I just mentioned, you know, you can not be surprised that at this point, once, especially once you have a case in, in your community, there are a lot of healthcare providers with a lot of questions and a lot of concerns about, you know, potential, potential patients, potential PUIs. Um, I think that <laughs> this has been an instruction to me of how important it is to keep, take a good Specific accurate travel history. Uh, we we work as 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 was mentioned, Dr. Ueki It's extraordinary to me that the CDC lab actually has a test this quickly that is useful diagnostically for us. But it is adjusted the CDC and the CDC. Uh, you know they have to. We have to refer uh, potential cases, PUIs that are real, and so having a real accurate travel history for us, were they actually in Hebei province, were they actually in Wuhan, what part of China were they in and when, is just incredibly crucial for all of us to be able to evaluate all of these these cases uh, quickly and accurately and figure out who needs to be tested uh, and who doesn't.
0: Thank you, Dr. Zahn, for that insight. Now we have a few more minutes, and I'd like to take that time to ask each of you one last question that seems to be top of mind, and that is, how worried should people be about this outbreak, and what can they do to protect themselves and their families? What advice would you give them?
2: So in the United States, I would say they really shouldn't worry right now. We do not have community-wide transmission of this virus. We do not have sustain person-to-person transmission anywhere in the U.S. Um, I think that what's most important is simply to stay abreast of what uh, is going on in China. Uh, Stay tuned about what the CDC and the World Health Organization uh, are posting uh, about the scope of this outbreak globally as well as in the U.S. and stay tuned. Um, I think that this is a time to really think about general precautions for acute respiratory illness. As you know, this we're in the midst of influenza season. Influenza causes tens of thousands of deaths and hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations in the U.S. every winter, every season. There are ways that one can uh, help prevent influenza virus transmission as well as other respiratory viruses tran- transmission um, and uh, simple things like so Um, You know, actually in in a healthcare facility, if you're symptomatic, wear a mask, uh, wash your hands, uh, stay away from other people uh, Mm -hmm. who are sick, or if you're sick, keep your household members away from you until you've resolved your illness. For influenza, we have annual vaccination. For everything else, respiratory virus-wise, we don't. So I, I think that we have to step back, put this in perspective. Um, we've had 12 cases in the U.S. Uh, nobody's died. Nobody's been critically ill. But stay tuned and, and keep, uh, keep up with what CDC, uh, WHO, uh, IDSA, others are um, putting out uh, accurate information.
0: Great advice. Dr. Lucy, can you weigh in on this? Uh, I think
1: Dr. Yerke has uh, really, really covered it uh, quite well. It's a uh, focus on what is real and a threat to us every day, which is primarily the influenza, but keep an eye out for that sort of needle in the haystack in terms of someone that's um, traveled from China or anywhere that they've been around, someone that might possibly have the the epidemiological link to this new coronavirus, but it's still very rare in this country, unlike widespread every province in, in China. We should be prepared because I think the handwriting is on the wall. We know how to read it. We know what we need to do. I think uh, CBC, uh, AMA, the the organizations, IDSA, are are doing the right thing, trying to uh, help to educate and and to prepare uh, folks in in America for what might be coming, uh, but certainly isn't here now.
0: Thank you, Dr. Lucy. Dr. Zahn, being in the public health environment, no doubt you're seeing a lot of people likely worried about this. What would you tell them?
4: Yeah, I think I I think uh, Dr. Ecky covered uh, as was mentioned an an awful lot of the important things. I think I think one thing to realize, uh, in addition to the fact that really the risk here in the United States is is extraordinarily low. I think even in a community uh, like mine in Orange County where we've identified a case, realize that the scope of public health investigation. Now again, we're having help with CDC we really are able to identify and really talk directly to people who are, you know, who who are even potentially exposed at this point. And the risk of you know, from I was, you know, I may have passed by someone transiently in the grocery store and I'm worried that person had illness, those sorts of exposures and the risk for that uh, is extraordinarily low. And so, you know, so realize there isn't you know, there there isn't a sense that this is this is out gelling the community at all. The, the cases are very rare in this country at this point, obviously it could change, but at this point, and the public health response is such that we're really identifying and literally talking to just about everybody who's at any significant risk.
0: And thank you for that Dr. Zahn. Dr. Pillai, do you have anything else you'd like to add to that?
3: I'll just echo what my colleagues have just said I'd like to thank IDSA for the opportunity to, to speak uh, to you all. I, I think the key message is here for the, the clinicians and, and our, our colleagues at IDSA, you know, be cognizant of our travel history. Um, use that right now. That's our epidemiologic link. And if there's a suspicion Follow the uh, IPC infection prevention and control guidances that, that are available on the CDC website to ensure that you're rapidly identifying potential persons under, uh, that may be exposed and may benefit from testing and, and uh, isolation and treatment, and so that we can rapidly coordinate between public health and the healthcare sector to ensure contact tracing and identification of additional cases can occur quickly. I think our colleagues have hit the nail on the head. Right now, the risk within the United States remains low, but it's important to be vigilant. This is an opportunity for our health systems partners to start thinking about how they can best prepare their hospitals, their facilities by looking at their prior pandemic plans. What are the contingency plans for uh, identifying individuals um, during uh, a influenza outbreak and ensuring that we are appropriately identifying individuals that need care within the hospital versus outpatient care versus telephonic uh, medicine and thinking about what can be done to minimize potential impacts that may occur in the coming weeks to months. And then I think a key message that Dr. Ueki hit upon is we are in the middle of influenza season. It's important to get your influenza vaccine. And so those are some of the key things. Be cognizant of where we are right now. Do what we can to take care of patients and take care of our healthcare providers and plan and prepare for what may come in the coming weeks. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Very useful insights from all of you today. I'd like to take this opportunity now to thank our very knowledgeable panel, Dr. Dan Lucy, Dr. Matt Zahn, Dr. Tim Uwecki, and Dr. Satish Palai. And for the latest information and resources on the coronavirus, you can always head to IDSA's website at idsociety.org. Plus, follow us on social media and be sure to tune in next week as we welcome another diverse panel of medical experts to discuss the latest developments on the outbreak.